Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. This is Spirit in Action. I'm your host, Andrew Jansen. Mark Helpsmeet is off this week. This week's episode has been adapted from a recording of a webinar on July 7th hosted by the Canadian No New Fighter Jets Coalition, who are working to stop the Canadian government from purchasing 88 new fighter jets. Rachel Small and Pirzana Shanmugathis lead the event for the coalition, with speakers including Yonatan Shapira, a former IDF helicopter pilot and current peace activist, Vicki Berenson, an organizer with Safe Skies Clean Water Wisconsin, who is working to prevent the basing of F-35s at Truex Air National Guard Base in Madison, and retired U.S. Air Force Colonel Roseanne Greco and Dr. John Royer of World Beyond War, who have been trying to prevent the deployment of Air National Guard F-35s in Burlington, Vermont. This webinar has been edited for time, and the Q&A portion of the webinar, as well as an unedited version of the entire webinar, are available at northernspiritradio.org. And now, the No New Fighter Jets Coalition webinar on resisting fighter jet deployment. Okay, welcome everyone to today's webinar, Resisting Fighter Jets at Home and Abroad, and thank you for being here. I want to inform everyone that today's webinar is being recorded I would like to acknowledge that I and the Canadian Voice of Women for Peace's head office is on the traditional territory of the Huron-Wendat and Patun First Nations, the Seneca, and the Mississaugas of the Credit River. With the recent discoveries of hundreds of mass graves of children, it is critical. We work towards honoring and supporting Indigenous rights and peoples. Let us not also forget that military air bases in Canada are on stolen land, displacing Indigenous communities, and prevent ancestral rights to the land and to hunt and fish. (laughs) As part of the No New Fighter Jet Coalition, Canadian Voice of Women for Peace, Science for Peace, and World Beyond War Canada have organized a webinar with peace activists from Canada, Israel, Wisconsin, and Vermont about how they are resisting the procurement, use, and basing of fighter jets. A key purpose of the webinar is to bring greater attention to the Canadian government's plans to purchase 88 new fighter jets, for a life cycle cost of $77 billion and to compel the Canadian government to cancel such plans. The Canadian Voice of Women for Peace approved the No Fighter Jets campaign in late 2019, and we have been working diligently to raise national awareness about the ludicrousness of the $77 billion investment in weapons. So established in 1960, we at the Canadian Voice of Women for Peace have been working against weapons of mass destruction, testing, militarism, and injustice for over 60 years with creative protests, petitions, marches, youth education, and raising awareness like we are doing here today. If you would like to donate to support our work, I'll be leaving a link in the chat to our website um, where you can donate or become a member of VOW, working towards a culture of nonviolence and peace. So just before I hand it over to my colleague, Pitasana, I want to give everyone a heads up that at the end, we will be taking a group peace photo. So if you can find a a piece of paper or whiteboard to write a no fighter jets message to have it ready for the end, that would be great. I'm looking forward to today's webinar and discussion because we are talking about a purchase that will indebt Canadians for decades to a tune of $77 billion. And like my shirt says, fighter jets can't fight poverty, hunger, 
homelessness, COVID-19, or climate change. It's okay, we can go to Rachel to talk about the No Fighter Jets Coalition. Uh, Rachel, I'll hand it over to you. Great. Thank you, Vanessa. And thank you to Vow for really taking the lead on organizing this event as they have also taken the lead within the No Fighter Jets Coalition. I'm really looking forward to hearing what Pitasana has to say, but I guess we'll come back to him after. My name is Rachel Small. I'm the Canada organizer with World Beyond War, which is a global grassroots organization dedicated to abolishing war and the war machine and the tools of war, which certainly includes fighter jets, in this case, whose sole purpose is to drop bombs as part of U.S led and NATO wars. Maybe I want to start by saying this is a webinar that's about Canada's purchase, but it's certainly not a Canadian issue. Yes, the starting cost, as has been mentioned, of $19 billion for these fighter jets. That's just the sticker price, not the total price, which is closer to $77 billion. That's the second most expensive procurement in Canadian history. It is a huge chunk of our budget that is so desperately needed for other issues. But what it really is, is $19 billion upfront for a new generation of war machines that we know is designed to do the exact same thing that the last generation of them did. Canada's last batch of fighter jets has spent the last few decades bombing Serbia, Montenegro, Libya, Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan. There's now fighter jets flying from Romania along Russia's border. And what these missions of these fighter jets have done is really prolonged violent conflict and contributed to massive humanitarian and refugee crises. These operations have had a very deadly toll on human life, especially disproportionately killing children. They've destroyed vital civilian infrastructure that has left, in some cases, millions without access to clean water, and they have nothing to do with ensuring security for Canada. So I wanted to start, I guess, by putting this in an international context. We have to stop this Canadian purchase, but not for Canada, but because of the global impacts, the role these jets play as part of NATO, as part of a global war machine that has the worst and the most devastating impacts, of course, on the communities who are being bombed because of these jets. So I want to start by just mentioning that. I also want to highlight, just to get it off the bat, that even the former Deputy Minister of Defense for Canada, Charles Nixon, stated that Canada does not face any credible threats. And I quote, new Canadian fighter jets are not required to protect Canada's populace or sovereignty. So that's not what these fighter jets are about. And we know that right off the bat. Unfortunately, the Canadian government prioritizing buying wildly expensive war machines over other, I would say, much more pressing priorities for life is the norm in this country right now. But the No Fighter Jets Coalition has come together believing and committed to this unique chance to demand a new normal. I think about the quote that the renowned writer George Monbiot recently wrote, if ever there were a time to reassess the genuine threats to our security and separate them from the self-interested aims of the weapons industry, well, this is it. So that is the context in which the No Fighter Jets Coalition has come together because we recognize right now, particularly this year, we have a rare and critical opportunity to actually stop this purchase of 88 new fighter jets before it happens. We have been very, very busy over the past year or two. I do want to mention, though, that this is a campaign that in many ways goes back over a decade. This purchase of fighter jets has been delayed over a decade at this point because of the incredible activism, including of many people who continue to be leaders within the No Fighter Jets campaign and coalition. But right now, as there is a renewed effort by the government to try and make this purchase, um, the coalition has really stepped up. So what has that looked like? 
I don't have my slideshow here is not sorry, I can't present it right now. But maybe I'll get to show it a bit later in the webinar. because I didn't have it pulled up and ready just this moment. But I can say briefly that this has looked like a varied campaign that has included the leadership of dozens of organizations ranging from grassroots groups to national NGOs to the involvement of parliamentarians and former government leaders. And it has looked like everything from national days of action, where we've mobilized outside of dozens of members of parliament offices and workspaces across the country on multiple occasions, to a FAF that has involved over 100 people fasting to demand this purchase be cancelled. It involved thousands of letters and emails being sent to politicians to make sure they absolutely hear our demand loud and clear. It has involved connecting with both former fighter jet pilots, hearing from people who have been on the brunt end of these fighter jet attacks. It has involved doing some behind the scenes, lots of behind the scenes, in some cases, sneaky research, access to freedom to information access requests to look into what's actually happening here. What are the lobbying efforts here? We've spoofed Lockheed Martin and other weapons companies ads to highlight the truth behind their claims of what these fighter jets are for. And there's lots more ahead of us. We're just kind of ramping up because we know this is the year. If we are going to stop these 88 new bombers from being put on this planet owned by Canada and used to bomb people around the world, it has to happen this year. So that's sort of my pitch for the No Fighter Jets campaign. And we've got some sneaky plans coming up. We've got more in-person actions and also lots of ways that people can get involved online. So I'd be happy to answer more questions later. But I'm so excited for this webinar because I think we know, as I mentioned, this is a global struggle. And the only way we're going to be successful is if we learn from and work in solidarity and alongside folks around the world who are already acting against these fighter jets. And for that reason, I can't wait to hear from our speakers coming up. Thank you, Vanessa. So as touched upon by both Vanessa and Rachel, you know, it's an enormous pleasure and privilege to have peace activists here today in this webinar from Canada, Israel, Wisconsin, and Vermont, you know, who'll be talking about how they are resisting the procurement, use, and basing of fighter jets. And this webinar has been organized by World Beyond War, Canada, Science for Peace, and the Canadian Voice of Women for Peace, who are part of the No New Fighter Jet Coalition. And as touched upon, the Canadian government is planning to purchase 88 new fighter jets. They claim that they're purchasing it for $19 billion, but you know, it's, it's worth stressing that that's just the sticker price. The real cost for the full life cycle of the No New Fighter Jet Coalition estimates that it will actually cost approximately $77 billion, you know, depending on whether the government decides to purchase Lockheed Martin's F-35, Saab's Gripen, or Boeing's Super Hornet. The No New Fire Jet Coalition estimates it could go up to $77 billion. And the contract for these fire jets is expected to be awarded in 2022. However, you know, as Rachel has touched upon, there's been enormous opposition from the Canadian public to the government's plans to purchase these fighter jets. And most recently, our coalition has been successful in introducing a parliamentary petition signed by over 1,100 Canadians demanding that the Canadian government cancel its plans to purchase these fighter jets. Our next speaker now is Yonatan Shapira. Yonatan Shapira is a musician, singer, and was a rescue helicopter pilot and captain in the Israeli Air Force. In 2003, he was the initiator of the pilot's letter signed by 27 pilots who refused to take part in the attack on Palestinians. Shapira is a member of Boycott from Within, which refers to Israelis supporting the BDS movement. 
And Shapira was also a crew member on four flotillas attempting to break the Gaza blockade. Yonatan will discuss his opposition to Israel's procurement of F-35 fighter jets and as well as Israel's use of F-35 jets in its bombing of Gaza. Thank you, Yonatan. I want to say thank you for inviting me to this uh, really important campaign. I wasn't a fighter pilot. I never bombed anyone. And I have, I would say, a limited understanding in this weapon deals. But I think in my capacity here is mostly in solidarity with what you guys are doing. And I think this is what we have to do, not just in Canada, but all over the world. Even if we are not uh, as strong as all these death corporations and corrupt governments, we have to link between each other across the globe and struggle together because uh, it's not just a problem in Canada. It's not just a problem in Israel and, uh, and Palestine. It's all over and uh, we are dealing with a huge situation of um, arm industry that is in more or less controlling most of our destiny in, in these decades. I really want you to get uh, not just uh, my support, but many of other Israelis who are against the apartheid, against the acts of genocide that uh, our own government is doing against the Palestinian people. Just recently in Gaza, few weeks ago, F-35, together with uh, other fighter jets, together with attack helicopters, drones of one of the strongest air force in the world, were attacking a population of about 2 million people, half of them children, locked in a ghetto and bombed from the ground, from the sea, and from the air, night and day. Those people have no way to defend themselves, and very primitive weapon they use cannot even scratch the big monster that is controlling them. Israel have about, I think, 30 F-35 and many, many hundreds and maybe thousands of attack fighter jets and many, many drones that are buzzing in the sky of Gaza, night and day, 24 hours, seven days a week. And whenever they want, they can shoot missiles to houses, to cars, to anywhere. The commander that uh, can sit in the headquarters in Tel Aviv wishes to, Families, communities, hospitals, schools, universities can be destroyed just like that. So to me, it's an obligation to join you in solidarity and of course join the Palestinians in solidarity because uh, I'm here as a representative of a community that most of their members are either in a state of denial or deep, deep racism against whoever is not uh, Jewish in this country. About 20 years ago, uh, about a little bit less, I realized that I'm a member of uh, what I call today a terrorist organization, the Israeli army, the Israeli Air Force. It wasn't an easy process to realize that something that I really like to do, like flying helicopters, even though I didn't bomb anyone and just flew rescue helicopters and transport soldiers, but just the realization that I'm a member of an organization that constantly destroying lives, destroying houses, destroying communities, destroying everything. And I'm just this guy that thinks that he can protect his country or his people. Once I opened my eyes, I started learning very quickly how many other things me and my friends are not aware of. One of these things is the way the arm industry control us in many ways. And when you talk about F-35, the image that I want people to see is not just the F-35. The F-35 is just the tip of this big iceberg 
but it's a representative. It's like just a symbol of a huge system that profits from war, death, and destruction. The fighter jet with all these shiny metals and sophisticated avionics and computers and, and missiles and everything, it's just the tip of a huge system that benefits the few and kill the most oppressed and most vulnerable. When it comes to Israel and the Palestinians, the image that I see when I think about F-35 is a 77 or $80 million warplane, and on the other hand, a balloon or a kite or a very primitive rocket that people build from agricultural pipes. This is the image. And I think that when you have a situation with such an imbalance in power, there is no interest of the superior power to change anything. Israel benefit from the ongoing oppression and occupation. Gaza became a testing lab to weapon. The whole area around Israel where fighter jets are bombing every now and then in Syria, in Lebanon, and of course in Palestine, is a testing lab that after every operation, Israel gets more and more money by more and more weapon deals all around the world. I think after 2014, in one of the killing operations, this uh, massacre operation in Gaza, where about 500 children were killed in about 50 days. I think the total was 2,200 or 2,300. 500 children in about 50 days. You just can't grasp this imbalance in power. And when this is a situation, Israel, official Israel, has no interest whatsoever to change anything. We get just more and more fighter jets. We make more money from selling weapons all around the world based on the experience that this weapon get. And the economy is blooming. Everything is good for the ghetto guard. But what about those in the ghetto? So I think it's time for us to remember and for me, especially as a Jew and as an Israeli, with family going back to Eastern Europe and people who died in the Holocaust, that we have to be in solidarity with those in the ghettos, wherever these ghettos are. And I'm thinking, what is official Canada going to do with these F-35s? Why do they need them? They do not need them. Just like Israel doesn't need so many fighter jets because it just put us deeper and deeper and deeper in this madness situation of a crazy bully in the neighborhood that just kill as many people as they want with no price at all and with no horizon of any hope. So I just want to support you in any possible way and to let you know that many people, even here in apartheid Israel, are supporting your campaign. We have to hold our hands and fight in this struggle together. And I think we have a chance to win if, if we just combine all these efforts from people around the world, because we are more at the end of the day, we are much more, much more, many more people are on our side than the side of Lockheed Martin, the corrupt government in Canada, in Israel and elsewhere. And we have to raise our voices. So thanks again. And just uh, let me know how can I help and my friends can help you in this campaign. Thank you, Yonatan, for stressing the great seriousness of this problem. Our next speaker is Vicky Berenson. Vicky Berenson is one of several organizers for Safe Skies Clean Water Wisconsin, opposing the sitting of F-35 Joint Strike fighter jets at the Trua Air National Guard base in Madison, Wisconsin. She has contributed to anti-violence and social justice work for many years. 
with a variety of organizations as a volunteer or staff and currently serves on the board of Wisconsin Faith Voices for Justice. Vicki has worked with food and housing cooperatives and nonprofits, including Wisconsin Network for Peace and Justice, doing bookkeeping, outreach, training, and technology support. Thank you, Vicki. The floor is yours. Hi, thanks for having me here today. I do want to acknowledge that, of course, our Air Force base is on stolen land. I believe it's the Ho-Chunk tribe. I also want to acknowledge that I am one of many organizers. We have many lead organizers at our organization, Safe Skies, Clean Water, Wisconsin. So thank you, Yonatan, very much. I was reminded that when I was visiting Israel in 1978, there was a terrorist attack shortly after I arrived, and I stood in the backyard of my cousin's home in Rehovot, watching fighter planes go by overhead, knowing they were going north to bomb I believe, Lebanon at the time, and being extremely disturbed and feeling powerless. And now I live three miles from the airport where our Air National Guard base is, and the fighter jets do go over my house, and sometimes they're very loud, not anywhere near um, what people experience that live closer to the base. But I used to get just really tense and upset and angry whenever they flew over, and I had to remind myself that they were just machines and that there were people inside and the people inside are basically tools. They're clueless. They're not malicious. They're part of a system that is so powerful that even they don't know the impact of what they do truly. So with that, I just wanted to share some of of what we've been doing here in Madison, Wisconsin. It was about two years ago that I learned of the F-35 proposal that we were one of five locations to site uh, a squadron of 18 F-35 fighter jets. I attended a meeting where Roseanne Greco from Vermont streamed and talked about their efforts in Vermont and Burlington. And I was just, I mean, I know the military has got a huge reach and I know there's a lot going on, but I was just shocked at what I learned. I was particularly shocked by the idea that these jets were going to have not only nuclear capacity, which I've since learned that all of fighter jets are capable of carrying or will be capable of carrying nuclear weapons, but that these jets were designed, there was a nuclear weapon specifically designed for these jets that was actually had, had a capacity that could be adjusted and that government officials and military people were actually thinking about these as being usable. So that that was what really drew me in. And and then, of course, I learned so much more. And so, as I say, it was two years ago when this all began. And I wish that we had had more time to deal with it. We did the best we could. We organized a coalition of people. We had thousands of people that we educated. And they needed to be. Nobody knew about this. There was a teeny little announcement. Um, So what happens here is that we have to, if anything's going to impact the environment at a certain level. They have to create an environmental impact statement and get community feedback about that and testimony. So there was this tiny little announcement in a newspaper that someone found. It was a printed newspaper. It wasn't published online anywhere that said there would be a meeting at the uh, convention center where people could submit feedback. So it came up to us to publicize that because nobody else was and it was so small that no one even noticed. So we organized a lot of people and we had an incredible turnout at this event where we also 
encourage people to submit comments on the environmental impact statement. One of the things that the environmental impact statement said very clearly was that there would be a disproportional impact on people in low-income neighborhoods, people of color, or they called it minorities, and children, where um, we know that the noise impact can be very traumatic and long-lasting for people. So that was, you know, we call that environmental justice. I mean, it's one of the neighborhoods where it's actually affordable to live in Madison and for people to need to move, they wouldn't have any place to move to that they could afford. So that's a big deal. Anyway, we organized that and I'm going to share, I'm just going to share a photo because it kind of gives you a range of the things that we did. We started with the legal channels, the protocol that you're supposed to, to start, but we also had a lot of events and protests and other things. So, you know, we created a video, too. On the bottom right, you see our um, No F-35s protest at the Alliance Center, where the hearing was held for comments on the environmental impact statement. At the top, you see people writing letters. You see our image that we have for buttons. This is our state capitol on the top left. And the video, you know, shows a lot of, well, it it tells the reasons why we shouldn't have the F-35s in Madison. Originally, we got a lot of people involved because this was right in our backyards and people who would normally look at the bigger issue and say, well, that's just beyond us. We don't get it. And it's too much for us to understand really came forward because they didn't want these jets in their backyard. We already have fighter jets that are loud and these are going to be even louder and there's going to be more flights. But there was a lot more going on. There's the issue of the PFAS contamination, which is getting a lot of press right now where the firefighting foam used at the airbase has leached into the soil and into the creek and the lake nearby where people fish and a lot of people fish for food for their families. And those fish are highly contaminated with PFAS that are cancer causing and on other kinds of issues. You know, we have that issue. We have the issue of the cost to the community. Of course, you know, we know the cost with our tax money, we know that it goes to profits. Well, I think Yonatan laid that out pretty clearly that it's not just in Israel, it's in this country where we actually give F-35 jets to Israel. We don't just sell them. It's just outrageous. The whole thing's outrageous. So one of the things we've been trying to do is, is talk with public officials who might have some effect on this decision. So it's been a struggle. We've had some really great champions locally and some of our state representatives, but it's been really hard to get even the most progressive or people who call themselves progressive public officials to take a strong stand. And the one, the people who are the most likely to actually make a change would be our senators. And we have Senator Tammy Baldwin, who is wonderful on domestic issues. But when it comes to the military, she's behind this. And she gives very, we've gotten very specious reasons, you know, why that feel like they're just some excuse. And we also have Badger Air Community Council, which is like a rah-rah cheerleader organization for the 115th fighter wing. And, you know, the military in this country is just, for a lot of people, it's untouchable, it's sacred, and you, you glorify them and you don't criticize or you're, you're called unpatriotic. So we've had a lot of, of issues. You know, the Air Force did decide to bed down the squadron of F-35 jets here. We're still fighting that. We have some lawsuits in place challenging the environmental 
assessment and the environmental impact statement. And we're going to be filing an environmental justice complaint. You know, the legal system can take a long time, so we don't know what the impact of that will be, but we have to try everything we can. We had protests, we had festivals, we had family events, and we had a lot of things. And right now we have a postcard campaign to Senator Tammy Baldwin that we're distributing statewide where we're sending thousands of postcards to her offices around the state, trying to convince her to change her mind and take a stand against the F-35 jets. We also have a county board resolution opposing the jets. And a lot of this we've based on the, the PFAS contamination at the base, because in order to accommodate the jets, there has to be a lot of construction at the base, which could release a lot more PFAS chemical into the air. So there's just a real lot going on. We've been accused of NIMBY being NIMBYs, not in my backyard. Of course, it's not just our backyard. It's the entire world. And it's the United States that is the only country that's actually ever used nuclear weapons. We've been assured that there will be no nuclear weapons at our base. But of course, we're training pilots to fly them, these things that will deliver nuclear weapons. So what difference does that make? And so what if they drop non-nuclear bombs? You know, but the nuclear issue is is a big deal. And they're not going to tell us if they do have nuclear weapons at the base. They have in the past. So why wouldn't they now? And of course, they're not going to tell us. So there's just, you know, a lot of issues. There's um, issues with the community. One of the things that, that we had been trying to do that has been difficult, but now we're trying to get, we're starting to get more traction, is to work with other groups in other states. Because this is coming to other states, and there's a lot of, there's coalitions that we didn't know about. Because the news, um, we've gotten a lot of good press here in Madison all along, but it's limited. You know, and people make their decisions, they go, oh, those people, those peaceniks or whatever, you know, or unpatriots. So we're up against a lot of messaging that says we're wrong when we know we're not wrong. I could say a lot more, but I think it's time for another speaker. Thank you, Vicki, for talking about the great work that you and several organizers of Safe Skies Clear Water Wisconsin are doing to oppose the presence of the fighter jets at the base of Madison, Wisconsin. I'd like to remind our listeners that this is Spirit in Action, a Northern Spirit Radio production, on the web at northernspiritradio.org. On our site, you'll find our programs from the past 16 years. We invite you to come and leave a comment on this program. We love two-way communication. There's also a donate button. That's how this full-time work is funded. Not by government, not by corporations, but by listeners. But first, remember to support your local community radio stations, which provide access to news and music you'll find nowhere else on the airwaves. And now, back to Colonel Roseanne Greco. Our next speaker is Colonel Roseanne Greco. Colonel Roseanne Greco joined the United States Air Force, served on active duty for close to 30 years, and retired as a colonel. Colonel Greco was an intelligence officer specializing in strategic nuclear weapons, arms control negotiations, and strategic planning for the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Colonel Roseanne Greco has led a grassroots coalition opposing the basing of the F-35 fighter bombers at the Vermont Air National Guard Station located at the Burlington Vermont Commercial Airport. Currently, she's an outspoken activist for environmental preservation and climate crisis matters. Colonel Greco, the floor is yours. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm going to set my timer here so I don't go uh, past my time. Actually, I I jotted a few notes 
to talk to, but in today's Vermont paper, it goes across the state, it's called Seven Days. There's a, a very detailed article about the F-35. It's titled Sound Effects. In the F-35's flight path, Vermonters' lives have changed. Uh, one of the subheadings is labeled, The Kids Aren't All Right. John, my colleague, is going to be talking to you about more of what we have done. Um, he and I have been working on this for 10 years. In retrospect, I wish it had come out a little bit earlier because we are the poster child. We're the first uh, Air National Guard base to get the F-35s, but they are here. They've been flying now close to two years. If you want to know how disruptive, what a life-changing event these weapon systems are, come to the Burlington, Vermont area and, and you'll find out. Uh, but this article talks a lot about what human beings are experiencing here, and particularly small children. Anyway, let, let me get back to what I was going to talk to you about. The first thing uh, I was asked to speak about is whether weapon systems such as the F-35 are necessary. In brief, maybe 12 years ago or so, the United States Air Force was saying that fighter aircraft were obsolete weapon systems. They did not address the threat of the current environment that we're in, nor were they the best war fighting weapon system. It's because the threat has changed since fighter bombers were designed. The real threats that the world faces now are cybersecurity and terrorism, increasingly more homegrown terrorism. Fighter bombers have no capacity to address those threats. We don't do dogfights in the sky like maybe happened under World War II. And, and beyond that, killing people never really solved any problems anyway. But we as a human species haven't learned that. But OK, so that's enough about uh, the weapon system and, and its obsolescence. But it makes a lot of money for the military industrial political, political complex, which is what this is all about. It's pretty much all about money and power. But that's a whole other talk. So Vicki mentioned to you something that happens in the United States. So I'm not going to go very much into detail about what the specificities of how we do uh, in the United States, because it won't apply to you. But we have something called the Environmental Protection Agency. And years ago, uh, they came up with a process. It's called NEPA, National Environmental Protection Agency process. And what that is, is when a government entity is about to undertake an action that has significant impact on the environment, significant impact, they have to write a document. It's referred to as the Environmental Impact Statement or EIS uh, before they do that. Basically, it's to alert the decision makers and the people about the repercussions of this action. So they produced an EIS for us as they did for Madison and for other places. All right. So in that EIS, it focused on 15 different environmental categories that the F-35 would have an impact on. Nine of the 15 in our area was a negative envir uh, environmental impact. And by the way, environmental covers a lot of things. Uh, the natural world as we think of it, animals, vegetative matter, human beings, infrastructure. And as Vicky said, the Air Force calls them minorities. We call them BIPOC now, but, but the impact on um, marginalized communities and people of low income. So that's what this EIS covered. The report was issued the facts overwhelmingly showed that the F-35 did not belong in a residential community. And they keyed two of the main reasons why had to do with safety, the issue of crashes, which we don't have enough time to talk about. But let me tell you, it's not good for many, many reasons should an immature fighter bomber such as the F-35 crash in your neighborhood. But the other impact that people minimized continually was noise. 
And up until I read the EIS, I too minimized noise as a minor irritant. And that's what the other side and folks in Madison are hearing the same sound bites we got about a minor inconvenience, sound of freedom kind of crap, you know. But when you read the Air Force's report and they drew on science, World Health Organization reports and experts in the field of noise, they revealed that regardless of how an individual emotionally reacts to noise, because noise is very subjective, it matters little because the impact of noise on your skeletal system, your heart, your lungs, and a host of other internal organs still happens. And it's not just the noise you hear when you hear it. A lot of people think of noise as you know losing hearing. That's not the issue, although you could lose your hearing if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's the cumulative effect of noise on your body that is incredibly damaging, especially to young children and more especially to infants. And if you ever get a chance to read this seven days article, they are interviewing parents of children and how their children are reacting to the noise. Now they're seeing an emotional reaction, but what it's doing to their internal organs, they will not see. It also has a huge effect on learning ability of children. So all of those things were in this. And I'm going to segue for a second here now. So among the many actions, John will be telling you about that. We did file two lawsuits. We lost both. One was on about environmental issues. They didn't follow Vermont's code on reviewing uh, what the environmental impacts are for, for Vermont. But we lost that because of something referred to as federal preemption. That means the national government preempts whatever the state uh, rules are. And the other one was about the specificities of this National Environmental Policy Act, because our lawyer said those are the cases that generally are won. They didn't follow the regulations, their technicalities. And we lost on that, too. But in the course of that lawsuit, the judge ordered the Air Force to release the documents they produced during the basing process. It's called the administrative records. We got 68,000 pages of records. When I was in the military, there were two ways of not conveying information to the public, give them nothing or give them everything. So we went through the 68,000 pages, a handful of women got together and had reading parties. And I'm not going to go into all the details, but the bottom line that we found in reading these records, and by the way, they were heavily redacted. So goodness knows what we didn't read, was that the military, the United States Air Force in this instance, came to the same conclusion that anybody who read that environmental impact statement came to. And that is the F-35 did not belong in Burlington, Vermont. I'm going to tell you, probably in Madison, Wisconsin, and probably in, in residential areas in Canada, because of the incredible negative consequences it would have on the residents living there. And they decided to base it at another location, a remote location. And then our senator, Senator, we have two senators in the state of Vermont. You probably heard of one of them. The other one is Senator Patrick Leahy. The other one, you maybe heard of Bernie Sanders, exerted his authority as a senior representative in the United States Congress and told the Air Force he wanted the F-35s in Vermont. So the decision to get them Vermont was a to Vermont was a political decision. It was not a military decision. The military determined, and we read this, that both from environmental uh, reasons and operational reasons, which is really what the Air Force is concerned about, the F-35 did not belong in Burlington. But they were overridden by our senior senator and our other senator, Bernie Sanders, also said that he, he believed the same thing too. So I have one more minute to go. 
So do I have any advice for you? Well, we did just about everything we could possibly think of to do. The folks in Madison are doing it now. John is going to tell you about all that we did. I guess we decided early on that there were many ways of of addressing this and going to the people who had the authority to either stop the F-35 from coming here. And now we're trying to get rid of it. And which is possible, by the way, at least in the United States, it is. Other states have done that. They've gotten rid of um, aircraft that had been disrupted, was to go to the individuals that had the authority to do it. And in our case, it's our two federal senators, Senator Patrick Lee and Senator Bernie Sanders. So we focused a lot of our attention on them. However, they ignored us. And I, I've been doing this now for 10 years, a little over 10 years. They have never met with us in the 10 years that we have been doing this. So what do I say to Canadians? I pray you have your decision makers have are people of integrity and that they care about you. Ours have demonstrated they care more about military, political, industrial, complex, power, money, greed, than they do about the people they are supposed to represent. And I hope you are more fortunate than we are. And uh, I hate to be a Debbie Downer and leave it at that, but I'm sure my time is up because my uh, timer is going off. So uh, thank you for, if you were listening, thank you for listening. Thank you, Colonel Greco, especially for stressing you know, the impact that the noise pollution has on children. I don't think many people realize the impact, the, the neurological impact, the mental impact and the physical impact that it has. Thank you so much for stressing that. Here in Canada, the indigenous communities, the First Nation communities here in Canada near the Cold Lake Air Force Base in Alberta and Bagotville Air Base in Quebec, they will be heavily negatively impacted by the noise from these new fighter jets if the purchase does go through. So thank you so much once again for stressing that. Our final speaker is Dr. John Ruhr. Dr. John Ruhr has been involved with resistance to the basing of the F-35 jets in Burlington, Vermont since 2011, including roles in writing, speaking, and activism. Now a retired emergency physician, he has been studying, practicing, and teaching alternatives to violence for over 35 years, including six years as adjunct professor of conflict resolution at St. Michael's College in Vermont, where he taught courses in nonviolent communication and nonviolent action. He serves on the board of directors of World Beyond War and the Committee to Abolish Nuclear Weapons for Physicians for Social Responsibility. Currently, he's chair of the Divest Vermont from the War Machine Coalition. Thank you, Dr. Rohr. The floor is yours. Uh, thank you, and thank you all for having me. I'm going to go to share screen and use some slides to give you a break from having to look at me. So I want to say that our campaign in Vermont was more about the damage it was doing to our communities that Colonel Greco started to describe so well than it was, like many of us want, to get rid of these war machines everywhere because of their uselessness and harm. So why would anybody want these machines? Well, this is where the supporters of the machine really have an advantage. Their message is extremely simple, and it's very easy to convey because in America, at least, the population is thoroughly indoctrinated into the belief that war is a glorious adventure that saves everything that is good in the world, and it creates jobs. So what's there not to like? And that simple message is the biggest obstacle because there are so many things wrong with these machines that you've heard about so much today that getting all that information out takes a lot of time, and people need simple messages. So I won't go over all these. We could give a talk on each one, how ridiculously expensive your lifetime 
cost is 77 billion, ours is 1.5 trillion. 6,600 people are gonna be living in a noise zone, mostly people of color and disadvantaged people live in a place where our Federal Aviation Administration says nobody should live in that noisier place. The crash risks, the toxicities, the incredible fuel consumption, the pollution that comes from that, they're made for war, clearly nuclear war with this new B-6112 variable yield nuclear weapon that's so usable. They can't protect us from any 21st century threats. And I wanted to add to the conversation here, you hear, well, we could have schools, we could have healthcare, we could fight the pandemic. All that's very true, but we could also fight perceived enemies better. We can engage with China and Russia and Iran and Syria in ways that are a lot less costly to keep them from hurting anybody than just proving to them that violence is the way to get what you want. And finally, the other thing I think we could do a lot better is, is hammer away at this economy argument. Military spending is the least effective way of creating any jobs. So you hear, oh, it's going to create this many jobs. Well, studies from the University of Massachusetts in Amherst and from Brown's uh, Cost of War project shows that every billion put into the military costs the economy between three and 10. It can be as high as many as 15,000 jobs per billion. So the 77 billion that your country wants to spend is going to cost between 400,000 and a million jobs over its lifetime. Jobs that would absolutely exist, according to economists, if you didn't buy the F-35 or the Gripen or whichever you're going to buy. We could spend hours talking about everything we did. I'm not going to repeat some of what Colonel Greco said or what Vicky said. We sent letters to politicians, to the Guard, to the Air Force, begging the health department to take this on as a public health issue. We did demonstrations in place. We did demonstrations on the move. We went to public forums for health professionals, faith leaders and churches, military jet experts. We had only one public debate, interestingly enough, uh, early on, one public debate at my school, St. Michael's, where somebody actually went head to head. There's been very little of that. Public testimony at state governments with good results. All the affected state governments and school districts have voted against this. Resolutions were passed by plebiscites, not just the local representatives, but the, the people themselves voted. And when they vo were given a chance to vote, they always voted against it. We have petitions that, that are still out there at the state and national levels. And even though our legislature, before ever looking at the environmental impact of Vermont, passed a resolution in 2010, as soon as the Air Force said they wanted it, within a month, they said, yes, we want it, with no debate whatsoever. Since then, through a lot of hard work, our Senate actually passed a resolution against having anything that was a nuclear weapons delivery system based in Vermont. We recruited Hal Pierre Spray as somebody everybody ought to know because he's an expert in all things jets and has a vendetta against the F-35 because it's so crummy. Dan Grazier from the Project on Government Oversight, make sure you use uh, him and their work because they also follow all the money and everything that's bad about this plane. We placed ads in newspapers. We wrote satirical pieces, including that song that, that we heard, Pat and Bernie's F-35s. There were others. We attempted to publicly shame officials. Roseanne talked to you about how Senator Leahy lied to us. He lied to the public. He interfered when he said he didn't interfere. He forced this thing upon us. And we tried to shame him by doing these public letters and demonstrations, even civil disobedience to no avail. You might be interested to know that Colonel uh, Greco and another lawyer that works with us each ran for adjutant general of the guard so they could be in charge and try to get rid of the F-35. That was extremely creative. And actually, they probably got as much attention as anything we did. It was quite, quite good. 
We had uh, stimulated local investigative journalism that turned up all kinds of dirt that if somebody really read about it, they really wouldn't want these people handing a, a nuclear bomber. And then we got some national, international coverage, the Boston Globe, the New York Times, the Washington Post, Al Jazeera, and been in touch with media and activist contacts from seven states. The Netherlands came and did a major story on us because they, they also were buying the F-35 in, in Great Britain. The legal challenges Roseanne told you about. And then I just want to talk about two of our several civil disobedience actions. You know, one was when Ben Cohen, who's been an ally of ours, you know, Ben and Jerry's ice cream fame, rented this six-foot speaker, actually two of them, to reproduce the 120 decibel noise that these planes have at the end of the runways where so many people have to live, and took it to quiet neighborhoods. And I'll tell you, the reaction of people was impressive. They were furious. They hated that noise. Of course, the message is up here in the upper left-hand corner. You can stop this by voting yes on a resolution. Uh, this is one of the plebiscites that we did. The city of Burlington actually put it out to the people with much effort on our part to ask them whether they wanted it. And I think this demonstration really helped people decide, no, I don't think we need that noise. And it gave them a little sympathy with the people that have to live with the noise every day, have to go through. So Ben, ben and several others got arrested that day and it got some actually international notoriety because of his fame. And then Colonel Greco and Roger Barassa here, former Air Force officers, to make Leahy talk to us, uh, went to his office and refused to leave. And Roseanne planned this out very carefully where we were going to take weeks, if we had to, of two people every day getting arrested. So the first day, it was military people. The second day, it was people from the faith community, ministers. The third day was people in the affected noise zones, including one in a wheelchair, all people whose credentials and care could not be questioned. By the fifth day, it was healthcare professionals. At that point, they had locked us out of the office and there wasn't an opportunity to get arrested and make a big splash. So the civil disobedience stopped at that point, but it was a good campaign. It's all on record. So what did we accomplish? We didn't stop them from coming here, but I think we did some things that will make our efforts worthwhile. One, we proved that when ordinary people were given a voice, as opposed to the politicians being bribed by the whatever they see, the honor and the money in, in the military industrial complex, when they're given a voice, the people will say no, especially if they're directly affected. Our state Senate, in fact, passed an anti-nuclear weapons delivery system that is on the books. The Air Force wanted to put as many as 24 jets here. We ended up with 20. I like to think that all the complaints they got and the hassle they received that was unexpected to them kept the number on the lower end, which is helpful. We don't have the time here to get into afterburner use, but basically jets take off under military power, which is just normal jet takeoffs. They're very, very noisy. If they have heavy loads like with fuel or bombs or have a short runway, they have to use afterburners. And it creates about 20 decibels more in noise, which is four times the sound energy of the normal loud sound. And we learned right before they came here that all the other bases were used, they were using those afterburners because to train properly for combat, the pilots need to be able to do that. And they can't do it here. And I know that's been a little frustrating to them. They claim the right to do 5% of takeoffs with the afterburner. But I think we made an impact there. And the Vermont National Guard, I think, is doing its good behavior. When you talk to them, they're very polite. When we started years ago, they said they had a complaint line, but when you called it, you might not get somebody. Or if we asked them, we want to see a list of all the complaints from the last year, they couldn't produce it. It wasn't clear they were doing it. Now they're doing it. If you call the line, and I'd love everybody in Vermont to call it multiple times, they'll promise you a callback and they'll, they'll deliver a callback. And they're on their best behavior is the point. They're on notice that people care. We also have another mechanism in place for complaints. And one documentary about the noise impact on people was made. It was very interesting, a short 12-minute film that's available. And another one is in progress. 
So our ongoing efforts, which still being out there, are petitions against the F-35, and I will put in the chat box the international one that everybody on this call needs to sign and get five of their friends to sign. We have 35,000 signatures on that. That's opposed to the one we did in Vermont at the pandemic. I'll put the, the link for that also, which has only 23 or 400 signatures to get the Guard just to stop flying during the pandemic until the pandemic was under control. Then the complaint lines I mentioned, uh, there is a filmmaker right now looking for noise stories. So if anybody wants to, this is only for Vermonters, but if anybody wants to tell how much the noise has affected them and make it a permanent record, there's a filmmaker looking for cases. Let me know about that. The lawsuits. One other thing that Roseanne, I don't think mentioned that she could confirm for us is that the judge at the end said, yes, this national environmental protection law doesn't hold because of federal preemption, but it's a different case. If you actually suffer damages from the noise, that's grounds for lawsuits. So some potential there. We reintroduced uh, twice now the House resolution to oppose nuclear weapons delivery systems. If we get them to pass it like the Senate did, then the state of Vermont is on records and we don't want the planes here. And that's a pretty powerful thing that I think we should make happen. And then we have a very articulate uh, appeal by one of our uh, lawyer advocates to the military, who's written some as long as 60-page briefs on how the military itself is breaking the laws by not separating what they do to military from what they do to civilians and bringing harm to their local communities. So we're there. I wanted to finish with just some reflections that I was taken back. Well, how's it in Canada compared to here? And I think you guys really have an advantage we don't have. One, your population is a little over a tenth of ours, but your spending is a whole lot less per capita than ours, a whole lot less. And in that same progression, your number of fighter bombers, you have 77 now, I think, where they want 88. <laughs> we have over 7,000 things that would qualify as fighters or fighter bombers. That's per capita. You have one for every 492,000 people, and we have one for every 47,000 people. So nine times as many. So you have nine times as many people to work on getting your jets out per jet, if that means anything. So we're all in this together. We don't lose until we quit. And I think we've got a chance to win if we keep at it. So thank you. Thank you, Dr. Orr. And as you and the other speakers have touched upon today, the definitely the core of our struggle is to oppose the interests of the military industrial complex, which prioritizes war and greed above all else, above the welfare of human beings on this planet. That was the Canadian No New Fighter Jets Coalition's webinar on stopping the proliferation and deployment of fighter jets. I'd like to thank the Coalition for allowing us to rebroadcast portions of this webinar and remind our listeners that the Q&A session and an unedited version of the full webinar are available at northernspiritradio.org, along with links to the various organizations which participated in the webinar. I'm Andrew Jansen, and we'll be back next week with more Spirit in action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. Oh